0: Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren,
1: where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to our next episode. We're so glad to have you here. And we have a special guest on with us today. We are excited to introduce you to her. And I'll tell you a little bit about her first. So she lives in Austin, Texas. With her husband and two little kids who are so sweet and beautiful. Um, she is a scholar in residence. I'm sorry, Michelle Reyes, I didn't even say her name. She's a scholar in residence at Hope Community Church. She's a- also the vice president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. She is the author of Becoming All Things, which we will discuss on the podcast today, and wife to Aaron. So we're so thrilled to have her here, and we just know this conversation is going to be really meaningful for us all. Um, so
2: welcome, Michelle. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad that we found made the the time zones work so we could all be talking on during times that we're awake, yeah. <laughs> but uh, glad to be part of your podcast. Yeah.
0: So glad that you got up well, you say you get up early usually, but ooh, you're podcasting nice and early in Texas yeah. this morning.
1: <laughs> I, my brain doesn't start working that early. So, no. So thank you. No
0: way. Is it. coffee like a morning essential yep, for you?
2: For okay. sure. I've had my cup of coffee, so okay. I'm I'm good to go. All things awesome. are firing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's too funny.
0: Well, um, how about you tell us a little bit about your book and maybe what how it came to be, like what what was the driving uh, passion behind? This matters so much. I need to write a book about it.
2: Yeah, for sure. So the full title of my book is Becoming All Things, How Small Changes Lead to Lasting Connections Across Cultures. And it just released this past April. There's so many reasons why I wrote this book, but in... One of the recurring conversations that I was having with people online, uh, even in our own church, uh, just with friends here in austin and 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 uh, beyond, was just how do I connect with people who are different from me? How do I connect with people of different cultures uh, and it's it 's interesting because the people I was talking to these weren 't these weren't people that hadn't like tried to go out and do the research. And, you know, these were people that had read the books, you know, read all the culture books they could find. Um, But unfortunately, I think particularly for people of color up to this point, the majority of culture books have been written by, and no shade on old, older white men, but the majority of culture books have been written by older white men. Um, And it's very different when a white man is trying to explain culture to a Predominantly white demographic versus a person of color trying to explain culture and cross cultural connections to fellow people of color. It's written in a very different approach, different practical steps and tools, and even just understanding certain ex- racialized experiences, right? Mm. Um, and so I I really f- saw this void and and felt like you know there needs to be more voices of color at the table in conversations of culture, and I need to be able to explain my own experiences as a second-generation Indian American woman, how I've experienced culture in America, uh, and, and what it means for me to connect across cultures. Because too often than not, and I'm sure this is true around the world, but specifically in the United States, we get so focused on this black-white racial divide that when we talk about culture, we think of it in terms of relations between white people and black people. Yeah. And and then folks like me, Asians, and then like my husband, Latinos, you know, we get completely erased from the conversation. So, and not only that, but what's what's really interesting is that earlier this spring, there's um there's there's an Asian organization called Launch. They did this survey that asked like, does anybody know? Do do you know a well-known Asian American? Uh, and over 42% of the of the people who, who filled out this poll said they didn't know a single well-known Asian American, which is crazy because we have, you know, half Asian vice president <laughs> in our country. Uh, but, you know, after that, I think it was 11% said Jackie Chan, uh, who's from Hong Kong, and then 9% said Bruce Lee, who died nearly half a century ago. Uh, and I think that's an indication Of just the general way of things, but also within the church, um, that that Christians and non-Christians alike, we're not used to sitting under the teaching of Asian voices. Uh, We're, you know, we're not so many people have told me, I really love your book. It's the first book I've ever read read by an Asian American woman. (laughs) And so I'm like, that's great. But there's more of us out there. Uh, And so what I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is I wrote my book. So that black and brown people could feel seen that their experiences, cultural and racialized experiences could be like that that's that's what I've gone through that mm. I've gone through that, and now I feel like I know how to respond, and also to normalize asians Asian American women talking about these 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 topics in a way that's like, yes, we have something unique to contribute to this conversation as well mm. yes. absolutely, that is so can you feel her passion
1: through yes. the screen?
0: Like, yeah, it's yes. this matters so much.
1: It, it reminds Again. me of a conversation we had on a podcast a few few weeks ago about uh, with okay. biracial friends. And we were doing a, a conversation about race, and it was Asian Americans, it was uh, Black friends.
0: We were doing podcast episodes. Yeah,
1: sorry. Mm. And, yeah. and you were just talking to our friend, and like, are you going to do a conversation with biracial people? Or,
0: or multiracial. Or multiracial.
1: Mm. And like, Oh, I haven't thought about that, but let's do it. And and, yeah. and as their experience is like, there's nobody talking about about this. I haven't heard my my experience being talked about.
2: Yeah.
1: And so, and I hear an echoing of that from you, and not not just from you, but you're reiterating Forty two percent of the people who took that poll <laughs> like don't know them. I, yeah. My my experience is is unique and I don't, maybe I don't even have language for my experience because no one's talking about it. So what a mm-hmm. gift that you are, you're giving to black and brown people, Asian American people that are able to have their their experience. Of saying, I think that's me, I can recognize that. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard for white people to understand that because it's like, we look around and it's everywhere and we take it for granted what it's like not what, to. Whiteness
0: is everywhere, you're yeah, saying?
1: Yeah, but we, Uh, we take it for granted that, that to have that experience. And so that's amazing.
0: I loved what you shared a few days ago on Instagram that in the 2020 census, the second largest racial group was some other race. And that was so, you said multiracial people are the fastest growing demographic in the U.S. Interracial marriages and mixed kids are the new norm. Mm -hmm. So why are we still talking about race in black and white terms? And that was just so helpful because I think if that friend had never, like she was a bit nervous to say, hey, what about, what about us? What about like when there's mixed race a conversation about mixed race people. And she said, we're usually left out of the conversation. And we were literally leaving that whole part of uh, people, people group. I mean, you can't really say people groups, but you know what I mean? Like that, those people weren't represented just even in our little series. So anyways, we think it's amazing to bring more awareness. Awareness is always, always, always good. Yeah. for the here for the speaker like we need this as people to grow and and evolve to be healthier collective so yes we're so thankful for your work um and we'll we'll, we'll link your socials in the description for anyone who wants to follow along so we'd love to talk about maybe some practical steps that you have probably have some of them in your book that we haven't read yet but is on our Amazon wish list nice um, practical <laughs> steps to embrace that discomfort that cultural discomfort that we all can come up against
2: yeah for sure well i sometimes like to compare uh you know growing in a new cross cultural friendship uh, to marriage in the sense that you know you when you get married, you all of a sudden realize that your husband or wife has some quirks (laughs) that that kind of drive you crazy. (laughs) And you didn't even realize those things annoyed you until you were in close proximity with each other. Uh, And and even I think for my own husband and I um, just kind of realizing, oh, I didn't realize that was important to me. I didn't realize That I didn't like that, but now that you do it, (laughs) I'm going to verbalize that. And I think that's in many ways a reflection of cross-cultural relationships is that we often don't fully understand our own culture, like how we were brought up, what our values are, what we like, what we don't like, what we see as good and beautiful in the world, until all of a sudden we start rubbing shoulders with somebody of a different culture. And it's this moment well, sometimes it's this moment of, aha, <laughs> that I don't like that, or I do like that. And and so I think on the one hand, this is a plug for why we need cross-cultural relationships and, and, and friendships in general is because it helps us better understand our own culture and better understand the culture of others with hopefully the goal of not just appreciating each other, but like really learning to live in in, in relationship with each other to uh, to that really is the understanding of unity in diversity is to be able to say, okay, we're not the same and that's beautiful. And we're going to just figure out how to live together uh, and be gracious and flexible with each other. But the reality is more often than not, we're not flexible, right? We we see the things that other cultures are doing and, and we, we say, I don't like that. Yeah. Therefore that shouldn't exist, right? That makes me comfortable. I see it as dangerous. And what we don't like, we then begin to judge. And what we judge, we begin to hate. And once we hate something, then we begin to control it or try to erase it. Uh, And that's what we see when it comes to cultural clashes. And I think, for example, like the issue of noise. Noise levels is just one of those things that just causes so much cultural division. You know, think about just in your daily life, uh, maybe you have neighbors, it's late at night and they're blaring their music, they're having a party, you know, or you're on the bus and that person next to you, a person of a different culture is, is you know, they got their phone on speaker and they're talking real loud to their mom <laughs> or friend. Uh, and you're like, I can't focus on what I'm, I'm reading on the bus because this person is like shouting um, to even just, you know, you might be at a restaurant and somebody's slurping and smacking their food. And you're like, that seems rude. (laughs) you know and so all of a sudden we're like looking at each other like what's wrong with you be quiet stop doing that as opposed to reminding ourselves i am not the standard right like it's not right or wrong it's just different and then also i think for us as christians and in the vein of philippians 4 8 which is like whatever is good and beautiful think about those things and so instead of saying like oh like that looks dangerous or that is uncomfortable or that seems wrong, we need to like shift our focus and in that moment that we're feeling really uncomfortable to say, how can I see the good here? How can I see the beautiful? What how how can I actually appreciate this person? And then I think lastly is as we're as we're kind of going through these motions in our brain and in our heart is to just challenge ourselves, <clears throat> excuse me, most of the time just keep our mouth shut. <laughs> Sometimes the best hope for cultural connections is to mind our own business. <laughs> and you might not like what the other person is doing. That doesn't mean you need to say it. <laughs> keep that to yourself. Uh, and I, I, I think the more that we can do that, remind ourselves we are not the standard, challenge ourselves to love other people by not demanding they be just like us, mm-hmm. and, and keep our mouth shut. I think that Those are the very initial first steps to paving healthier uh, paths moving forward.
1: That's so good.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Oh, there's so much in there. That was something that we taught our kids coming here is when you see something, it's not good and bad, it's different. And trying Ah. to give them that language.
0: And like, of course, sometimes there are good and bad, but there's so much more gray and nuance than we ever imagined growing Mm -hmm. up in a monolithic culture of like, we thought everything was either good or bad in the white cultures we grew up in. And -hmm. then we realized, Oh, wow, actually most of the world is gray. And then there's some that's like directly good and directly or not, not directly good. The gray is good too, I guess. Right. But the bad is very, very small things that are actually like morally, ethically wrong, you know?
1: And just the idea of not, not normalizing your way, like your way is not the norm, but it, that's so important to verbalize and to identify how often we do that. Like you said, whether it's the food we eat, the sound that that (laughs) we're comfortable with, the music we we listen to, the way we eat. Like in Thailand, they don't use knives. They use a fork and a spoon and the back of a fork into a spoon. They never (laughs) never poke. They never poke with a fork. And so like-
0: Tell her why. It's considered too violent to like stab. Mm. The food. Yeah.
1: And is that wrong? No, that is just a simple, like a very basic, simple way of culture, of how (sighs) you enter the world, how you see the world, what you value. And it's so important to be able to take that norm away in order to give a person a chance to know them without, like you said, I I don't know what you said. uh, um, You can say it again. It's something you judge, first you see it, then you judge it, then you hate it. And once you hate it-
2: You control it. You, try you control, to control it, it or, or get rid of it, yeah.
1: Oh, that is mm. that is a gem right there.
2: Mm-hmm. That, wow.
1: That, that, could, that could be a <laughs> book in itself, I feel like. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's good. Well, and I think kids in particular, they're just, they're naturally attuned to, to seeing differences. And I don't think it's always malicious, right? I think kids just, they they happen to notice different skin colors. I mean, my kids, even from like age two, they could distinguish somebody with fair skin versus dark brown skin, sure. uh, or even just cultural practices, behaviors. And so they're constantly asking me, why, why does this person do that? Right? And they don't They don't mean anything malicious by it but I think these are really unique opportunities for us as parents to set the right foundation Mm -hmm. and and so oftentimes a simple way that I reply to my kids is like yeah we we do it this way they're doing it that way isn't that cool and then you know sometimes they're like yeah that is kind of cool and so it helps just like shift their perspective of like oh that's different but different doesn't equal bad. And so sometimes even just that simple language of like, yeah, we do it this way. They do it that way. Isn't that cool? At least for kids can be a really positive foundation for, for mm-hmm. laying the, the, the right first steps of, of, of how we even interact with people who are different from us.
1: And the example you're giving is, again, you're noticing differences, and you're helping them and giving them tools not to judge.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, like, noticing is actually really a good practice.
1: Right. Yeah, and for sure. Not judging as a, a right and a wrong. Like you're noticing and saying, "Oh," but, and I guess there's some judgment sense <laughs> of <if> that's different. <laughs> yeah. But, but not in a they shouldn't be doing that, or and so that nuance, teaching them such a at a young age, it's it's such a skill that. So important, and it's a lot harder to learn as a, as an adult. And culture has been driving that for so much longer. I love that the intentionality of just noticing, because that's I think that's something that that makes this discomfort. Is we either we have to feel like we can't notice mm-hmm. the differences, or if we notice them, we feel like we have to judge them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you know, um, Portrait for American Life, they've done two different studies a decade ago. And then just recently where they asked predominantly white people and white evangelicals, like, how do we solve the problems of race (laughs) in America? And I think uh, it was like the first round was something like 40% said, we just need to stop talking about race. And then recently it had increased to 55%. Like the way to solve race is to not talk about it. And I think That's the exact opposite of what we need to do. We need to identify our differences. We need to talk about the way in which we are not the same uh, and then be able to, yeah, learn to appreciate and accept each other because of those cultural differences, which as Lauren mentioned, part of the nuance in this conversation is identifying what are the idols in each of our cultures and and Mm -hmm. deconstructing those idols, you know, every culture has its own idols of, of um, materialism, greed, uh, sexism, misogyny, uh, yeah. patriarchy. Like those are all idols that we should. <laughs> so, uh, to, just to be clear, I'm not condoning yeah. <laughs> like celebration of those uh, yeah. elements. But beyond that, um, mm-hmm. if we're if we're just trying to be colorblind and just not see each other's differences, um, we're at it's it's never just platonic we're we're either improving race relations or we're making them worse and and mm. choosing not to see not to identify is part of how we make things worse so what would you
0: say how what is a good way to deal with the the racialized speech and the rhetoric that we hear in in our culture as americans how do you have any insight into how
1: like the idea of
0: Let's just not talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Or For you're sure. talking about it. You're making the problem worse.
2: Right. Right. So much. Right. So I think there's two levels to that question. The first is like the the issue of your friends and family and you watch different TV channels, right? Like Fox News versus CNN or BBC or whatever it is that you're watching and the rhetoric of these different Television channels are so different, and they 're so politically divisive that people, people don 't know how to talk to each other across that divide and Of course, culture and race are so undergirded in those different um, TV channels mm-hmm. and I have conversations weekly, uh, particularly with you know college students, people in their twenties that like they really want to talk to their friends about issues of race, immigration, justice. Uh, racism, all of the big topics of the day, but they're like my friend watches this other TV show, and like it's just dripping with the rhetoric of that channel, and I can't like we can't understand each other. And my my encouragement with people who are struggling in on that layer is not to get into the weeds of the rhetoric of di- different TV channels, that really gets you nowhere. But I think undergirding the reason why people watch. Fox News, CNN, whatnot. Uh, is is there something that's relatable to them because of something they fear or something they love? Uh, and so when, when, you know, when you're sitting down with somebody who's watching Fox News and they're just saying something that's like driving you crazy because you're like, who in the right mind would think that? Instead of trying to like deconstruct the rhetoric, I've encouraged folks to say in response, okay, I hear you, but what what is it that you're worried about what is it that you fear when you're like when you're saying that or conversely what is it that, that that you love what is it that really excites you that um makes you connect with what this person is saying and you can say that for anybody with any tv channel and that really gets at the heart of people's emotions and thoughts and then you can have a real deep conversation right as opposed to like fighting over rhetoric mm-hmm. so i think there's that conversation um and then the other piece is like what do you do when when you're around somebody who really is spouting racist rhetoric, first, I think you need to stop and pray and decide whether or not it's even worth engaging that person. I mean, Mm -hmm. there are some people who are really hostile, where, you know, your own emotional, mental, physical safety could be in jeopardy. And those are people don't even engage with just walk away. (laughs) Just, you know, yeah. That's today is not the day to fight. <laughs> yeah. um, but I I think that if there are folks that you, you feel like, no, I really, I really feel like this could be a worthwhile conversation, particularly, I mean, Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up, you know, families, your mom, your dad, your, you know, that crazy aunt, but whatever. <laughs> um, there might be people that you're like, I, I want to engage this conversation, even though they are saying some crazy racist stuff. And what I've found is is some of the best practices to to utilize is in the model of Jesus, where he asks questions in response to other people's questions. And I have found, you know, say somebody says something racist about Asians, instead of like jumping in and trying to be like, okay, he, this that was racist for this this and this reason, I try to just repeat back to them what they said. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is, you know, A, B, C. And sometimes just repeating back to somebody what they said can be a light bulb moment of like, "Oh, no, that's not what I meant or or no, no, I wasn't trying to say that like they can it can kind of help them realize how horrible their words sounded yeah. um, or you know another practical uh, response is to even just let people know that their words landed wrongly with you like hey that that rubbed me the wrong way i don't know if you intended this you know, so don't accuse." But say like I don't know if you intended this, but that that was really hurtful i f- I felt hurt by those words, and maybe that will open up a conversation of like, Oh, why was that hurtful' and you can share more of your own experiences and and then, if you can get to step three, it's to say, Hey, would you consider instead of saying a saying b instead, and I'm a big advocate for like offering people alternatives because I think too often our knee jerk reaction is to like get really angry, accuse, shame, cancel each other and be like, "well, you're a racist. Like, I don't want to hear from you." But what if instead we actually gave people the tangible phrases and and ideas and concepts of like, "try this instead," so we're in, you know, inviting people to journey with us. And I don't know anybody who's uh who's who's been given that that option to be like, "Oh, no, I don't I don't want to say that." So I think just that kindness, that gentleness can sometimes have a really positive effect with people who are spouting racist rhetoric and not really realizing the, the hurt and consequences of their words. Mm. It's very helpful.
1: Yeah, it is. As, as you're talking, I, and this reminded me actually, of like basically good marriage counseling. like... <laughs> right. (laughs) When you are engaging with relationship, you don't want to get stuck on the content of this is what I think. This is what I think. Now let's go and debate about who's right. If If you get on that, you get stuck in a merry ground of arguing with each other. But what you want to do is hear the content and then, like you said, be curious about what's underneath that content. What is the fear? What is the need? What is the belief? And once you do that, the defenses come down. And you, it becomes two people talking to each other rather than two perspectives or opinions or stances or talking points. And that's the only way to have a good, efficient conversation. And then just the way you way you described it was just really helpful. That that three step process and even the idea of giving them something to say again, it, it yeah, it's just such a gracious.
0: And, it's an and a loving, an
1: invitation for relationship and an invitation for growth. With relationships, we have a responsibility to invite. We don't have a responsibility to be in relationship with everybody, right. but we can invite people into relationship. And their response to that is, depends on how much far does this conversation go? How much far does this relationship go?
2: For sure. I don't know anybody who's been like, horribly shamed. (laughs) You know, been just like called a racist jerk and then been like, you're right, I do need to change my ways. (laughs) I've never heard a success story from that. So like if we really want people to change, we have to consider how do we have enough of our own emotional iq to still treat the person spouting the racist rhetoric as a human being deserving of dignity uh and and just inviting them along and saying hey there's a better way anything less is (laughs) is not gonna get us very far
0: Yeah, and I like the caveat you said in the beginning about some people just are very hostile, and especially if you're a person of color doing this work, and you're exhausted, um, be, meaning the work of being a person of color in a white majority culture and how how draining that is. Then on top of that, people like yourself who have chosen a whole lifestyle and, and profession of um, calling people to a, a deeper way. level, yeah, a new way, a better way. I would just, I love that you gave that caveat and I'll just confirm, make sure that that is what I'm hearing. Like, you don't always need to do that. You don't always have to take that step and have that conversation because it doesn't really, responsibility doesn't lie on you to like, fix the wrong type of thing with the person who is not, <laughs> with hostile. a person who is hostile. hostile yeah, right, for
2: sure. For sure. I mean, I've had all sorts of conversations. I've had conversations where like the person I'm with keeps interrupting me. Like they're not letting me even finish my sentences. I've had conversations with folks that like every single thing I say, they're like immediately trying to attack it, deconstruct it. And there's this moment where you're like, I don't think this conversation is going anywhere. (laughs) Like this person just wants to hear the sound of their own voice. They are completely convinced that they are right. There is no, at least in this moment today, there's no hope for a productive conversation. And so it's like, instead of trying to like, just dig in and win that battle, I'm like, you know, I think I'm done. (laughs) I'm good with just leaving the conversation as is. Uh, And I think often and not what I tell them is like, hey, I love you brother. Uh, For me, these are oftentimes, most of the time, these are conversations with fellow Christians. And so I'm like, I, hey, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Like, we're on the same team here. But this is not a conversation we need to be having right now. We're get, I'm I'm gonna hit the pause button uh, and and maybe come back to it later. But I think there's also there have been those there's those moments where I have felt my own physical safety threatened, I I had a a situation where I was having a conversation with somebody and he started like running at me. And I was like, nope, not today. (laughs) Like I am out of here. Uh, And, you know, and and I think also what you were mentioning, Lauren, is that we are having these conversations so often that there is just this like general exhaustion. uh, And then the continual racial tragedies in our country that have been even sort of, heightened emotionally by by this the the advent of viral videos uh, and so we even if it's not the most ultimate toxic situation it could just be a general person yeah with good intentions saying horrible things but depending on how you're doing emotionally that day yes. physically spiritually it, it, there's still wisdom in saying hey somebody needs to talk with you but it's not going to be me <laughs> and yeah. that's okay yeah. you know that is completely okay to say yeah. absolutely having that,
1: that boundary for yourself and knowing yourself what you can handle what you can't yes. um sorry what you're sure. no okay
0: I was taking a deep <sighs> breath I <laughs> do that a lot in these conversations yeah, yeah the, the boundaries being crucially important for the the mental emotional spiritual health of of yourself because that is so so valuable and so important and actually the priority and that is I think it is just so important for when I see people of color doing this important work and I see them having fully embraced that, I feel so much better for them. Like just feel like, oh, they, they're not carrying that 5,000 pound burden that they have to, but they're, they have that invitation to enter into the work and, and rest when they need to and pause when they need to and enter back in. And I'm always so encouraged because I cannot fathom the the mental load that this could become day in and day out. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So why don't we, um, as we're wrapping up, we'd love to hear if you have some insight into how to better help our families, organizations, businesses, churches, better
2: connect across cultures. Yeah. So I want to make the case (laughs) that even before we start like with practical application of connecting with somebody, we need to do the hard work of developing our own cultural identities, uh, because we will not be able to see or value or appreciate the culture of somebody else if we can't see or value or appreciate our own culture. And you know, I have conversations all the time with with wonderful white brothers and sisters, and I and I'm asking them like, "What is your cultural identity?" And They're like, well, "I don't have a cultural identity. I'm just white." And I'm like, "Well, where's your mom from, or where?" where where are the ancestors from your mom's side? I'm like, oh, I think they originally came from Germany. Okay. And what about your dad? Where does did, where did your dad's family come? Well, I think they they came from Sweden or something. So I'm like, okay, so you're German-Swedish. <laughs> and it's like this light bulb kind of goes on. They're like, you're right. I am German-Swedish. <laughs> and then, so there's like, okay, now we can have a conversation about, okay, what does that mean? What does it mean for you to be not just this generic white person, but a German-Swedish person? What does that mean for the values and traditions you have? What does that mean for your perspective on the world? Uh, what does that mean for your unique history and the heroes of your community uh, and 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 the things that your communities in, in Germany and Sweden celebrate? And how can you tap into that as part of your own cultural identity development? Uh, and so I think it's incredibly important that we start there, that we begin asking those questions. What is my story? You know, if we are and i 'm speaking in in the United States context, if we are non natives, we came from somewhere <laughs> our, our families at some point got on a boat uh, or or walked a long, long way and and came to the you know the what we call the United States today. What is that story and 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 how do we lean into those values, traditions, those perspectives of what is good and beautiful in the world? How do we begin to celebrate that? I like to explain cultural identity in terms of three steps, step one is the sameness. It's this idea that we just think we're all the same. Uh, and I even believed that to an extent growing up, even though I was the lone brown skin girl in an all white community, I just kind of assumed we were all the same. like. My class my white classmates they their parents probably treated them the same way my Indian mother treated me. <laughs> they probably had the same values and traditions they we we probably all celebrated Christmas the same way, you know that kind of thing and then I had this aha moment after college where I was like, holy cow, I'm not white. <laughs> and 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 I lived my life very differently than my white neighbors. <laughs> it was like this big aha moment of like, okay, we are not the same. And then step two moves into difference where I began to spot all the ways in which I was different from my white neighbors, my white teachers, classmates, pastors, congregants, you know, fill in the blank. But in that stage, it was still kind of like a... Not necessarily shame, but I, I felt this continual need to have to explain myself. Okay. You do it this way. Here's what I do. And, and, and here's why I do it. Like, don't, don't freak out. Don't, don't worry. It's not weird. This is, you know, don't be weirded out, that kind of thing, which is why people shouldn't just get stuck in step two. But really the, the goal is to move to step three, which is to celebrate our cultural identities where, where I can sit at a table with a white person or a black person or a Latino and just be proud of who I am and not feel like I need to either hide my cultural identity or try to like overly explain and justify why, why I am the way that I am. I can just be, uh, and, and celebrate myself, celebrate the person across the table from me. Uh, and so that really, if you think about steps for cultural identity is to move from sameness to difference to understanding how you're different from the people around you, even from people of your own community, right? Like, I am very different from other Indians and other Indian Americans, and then to move from identifying those differences to celebrating it in, in very unique and special ways. And so that's my encouragement for, for individuals, for orgs, for churches, how can you do that with your people? Because that is the the healthy foundation for them being able to uh, make productive connections across cultures. Yeah. Wow.
0: I would say that is, novel information for us that's i'm really really excited that you shared that because we we have been intentionally reading and studying and learning from people of color and how to become more culturally competent for probably what like six years now and there's just such a steep learning curve and maybe we'll always be learning and that's amazing and Mm -hmm. i just love that that insight you shared like white people are often when they first start understanding what whiteness as a whole has done in North America at least at the very least like our story, it, it's like we want to kind of separate ourselves a bit from from whiteness as like this general construct, right, But then going down to the particulars of like, well, where's your story?" and our podcast is all about your story matters, and I love that you said like your story." You weren't here. So how did you get here? And what is your story? And explore your story and have that understanding of your own traditions and cultural aspects of your of your story that to then be able to appreciate others, it just makes
1: so much
0: sense.
1: It (laughs) really does. I I kind of was think the same thing about story. We do story work with people because if you do your own story, you can then have compassion on other people's story yes and why their parts of their story are important to them then you can, if you can't look at your story you can't allow other people to look at their story or you can't look at their story
0: yeah it's too uncomfortable
1: and because then if you look at their story then you're like oh my gosh you look at my story and you can't do yeah. that and so right. just that uh bringing that information into a culture context mm-hmm. and race context is
2: Beautifully
1: it seems fits. Obvious, <laughs> huh? It does. But it's like, oh, right. Right. <laughs> Light bulb. Yes.
0: Thank you for that, Matt. So good. That's
2: so good.
1: It's such a perfect transit like transfer.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm really glad. It's really valuable. Thank you. We are gonna let you move on with the rest of your day. I just remember though, as we were talking, you're working on a new book, right? The the race. Yes. Is it the race wise
2: family? What? Yes, it is okay. so i um I have the joy of co authoring this book with a good friend Helen Lee, who works with university press uh, she is Korean American and, and and I mentioned myself as, as Indian American and so the two of us are writing this book called the Race wise Family and the subtitle is Ten Postures to Becoming Households of Healing and Hope and so this is a it's a very practical handbook it's all about you know breaking up each chapter into like the different big topics uh, like what is what is privilege what is white privilege what is racism how do you how do you talk to your kids after a national racial tragedy like what what do you say? How do you, um, how do you pursue justice as a family? What does that look like? But in biblically rooted justice, and so each chapter has scripture verses. It has kid-friendly definitions. Uh, it has family activities to do, which uh, include both like recommendations for books and movies to watch with discussion questions. There's a prayer included in each chapter as well. So it's it's really geared for moms and dads to like just crack it open and like feel like they can have something practical to begin utilizing with their kids that day. So I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. That comes out May 17th of 2022. Wow. I'm
1: excited for it.
0: Seriously. Do you see like (laughs) our grinning? You can't see it on the podcast, whoever's listening, (laughs) but that is such a, I almost feel like that hasn't really been done, which is crazy because there's amazing resources available, but I feel like you, you guys just had such clarity with with what direction to go for this book. And that is going to be such a resource and a tool for people. Oh, yeah. Awesome.
2: That's, our, that's our hope. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah.
0: So cool. We could keep going. And sometimes we do too long, but we are going to wrap up today and just so, so thankful for your time and your heart. And we, we are new friends. We don't know each other and we just jumped on and had this meaningful conversation. And Thank I know you. it's going to be such a gift to our audience. So yeah. we're really, really thankful for you. It was a blessing. Oh, thanks for having me.
1: While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.